let's, for a minute, think of the Bible as an unfolding drama or play, if you will, that has for its theme redemption. The stage for this would be the earth. The characters would be mankind and the nations. And let it be said most reverently that the hero of this grand tale is Christ. Not only is Jesus the protagonist of the unfolding drama of redemption, but he's also the central figure of, world, of the world's history. That's just a fact. We have as our central and fixed point for the dates of history, the birth of Christ, right? The world cannot forget him while remembering history, for it is indeed his story. This is why the birth of Christ is the reference point for history, both B.C., meaning before Christ, and A.D., uh, meaning Anno Domini, which is Latin for the year of our Lord. So they're both at that fixed reference point. What we celebrated yesterday as Christmas is our reference point for history, right? The year of his birth is the zero year, right? And B.C. is the reverse of A.D. because as time goes on, it goes from, you know, 2021 to 2022 to 2023. Well, when we count in B.C., we count down from the highest to the zero year where Christ was born. That's why if the number is smaller, it's later in time than when the number is bigger, NBC, so it's flipped, a little bit confusing for some people. But it's because his birth is the reference point for all of history. Now, there have been some people that try to come along and try to pretend like they mean different things. BC stands for before the calendar, you know, and different things like that, but they don't change at what point it is referenced, right? It's still the moment Christ was born, no matter what they call it. It's still that fixed moment. So you can call it calendar, you can call it, you know, chrysanthemums, you know, you can call it anything you want to. Yeah, you can call it elbow macaroni. It's still going to reference that moment he was born. And you can't change that because you'd be changing all the dates of history. Can you say the AD is a Latin phrase, which is anno domini. And it, in English, translates to the year of our Lord. So Christology, we've been stuttering, study, stuttering, I'm stuttering a little bit. We've been studying paterology, right? That is the study of God the Father. And we study God the Father, and it's, it's a very important thing that we do and that we understand God as well as we can. But when we go from paterology to Christology, we're sort of delving into an area that's a little more relatable to mankind, right? We, on a global scale relate to these things we're about to learn a little bit better than we do studying God the Father. Because Christ became man and dwelt among us, right? So 
the, the, the study of Christology is broken up into three parts. Uh, the first part is the person of Christ. The second part is the life of Christ. And the third part are the works of Christ. And we'll be covering each and every one of those through the course of our study. Today we're going to begin the person of Christ. And the concept in the person of Christ we're going to talk about this morning is that God, or that Jesus, uh, the Lord Christ, is fully God and fully man. And that's a little bit confusing to people because we think in percentages, don't we? We think of something as 100%. That's its entirety. That is what makes it up. You can't have more than 100% no matter how poetic you want to be. Right? We want to say, I gave it 110%. And that sounds really great, but you can't give 110% because all you can ever give is 100%. That's the way it works you know, in your gas tank. You know, If it's completely full, right? it's 100%. But Christ was fully God and fully man. And it's said like this. This might not make it more palatable for you, but it may help you understand it a little better. Um, is that, the, that Christ was so much man that it might have been as though he was never God. And that Christ was so much God that it might have been as though he was never man. Right? Two completely, fully whole concepts dwelling in one person. That's typically impossible. It's only possible with Christ. Uh, but we're going to talk about, first of all, his, the concept of him being fully man. This is a matter of some debate, and I feel like it's important for us to know how to defend it. right? Because there are some people out there who think that Jesus was only ever just fully God. right? But it's important that he was a member of the human race. That is incredibly important. So it's important that we know it's true ourselves and therefore know how to defend it. The Bible records the parentage of Jesus as inheriting the physical DNA of Mary. Right? But he didn't inherit the physical DNA of Joseph because that was a bit like his stepfather. Right? Because Mary was a virgin when uh, Jesus was in her womb. We know this uh, because of Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. So we know that he inherited Mary's DNA because Genesis 3.15 tells us that it was the seed of a woman. Her genetics are in there as part of his makeup of a human being. If she had no part in his uh, formations or anything, he would not be a representative of the human race, would he? He would just be like an angel, something that God just created in the womb. She had nothing to do with. But he developed like a normal child. He was born like a normal child. He grew up like a normal child, and we'll talk about some of this in a bit. He was of the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15 tells us that. Romans 1.3 also says, 
concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So we know he had fleshly genetics. He had a human body. He had DNA like everybody else does. The Bible also records the physical growth and development of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2 and verse 40 says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So those first few words there in Luke 2.40 says, And the child grew. So from a baby to a toddler to a child, tracking the development, the physical growth, and the physical development of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He was flesh and blood, and he took part in everything that that entails. Uh, being a human being, and all the natural growing pains that you go through as a human being. Uh, Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And this goes from his childhood to his manhood. You know, his uh, development, his maturity physically. So because Jesus physically grew and developed, we know that that means that he had a normal human body. You know, he, he grew up. He was a child at one point. Jesus was a baby at one point. Uh, and he had a human body, which represents mankind. Uh, the Bible also records how Jesus looked like an ordinary man of his day. And this is the part that people don't like, and they like to close their ears and eyes to because they like to imagine Jesus the way they want him to look like. Uh, a lot of these famous paintings uh, done by famous artists from thousands of years ago do not accurately depict the way that Jesus looked. They have a white man standing there with long, dark hair, right? That's what Jesus looks like. That's what we think of when we think of Jesus. Wearing some kind of a white robe, maybe a red sash along the side of it, you know, wearing sandals. We think that's what Jesus looked like. The clothes might even be accurate, but Jesus was not a white man. He was from that part of the world in the Middle East, that part that touches Africa over there in Egypt and so forth. Jesus had dark skin like people in that part of the world. Jesus didn't have long hair. Uh, it wasn't customary for men of his day. It was customary for some of the religious leaders to have a certain specific kind of look with their hair. But Jesus was never considered a Pharisee or any one of those kinds of religious leaders. And he didn't have the long hair. I think the confusion with that is... The Bible says that he's a Nazarene, right? Jesus of Nazareth. And they get a Nazarene confused with a Nazarite. Because in the Old Testament, there's the vow of the Nazarite, right? That's what Samson took, or his mother took for him when he was born. And he was a Nazarite, which meant he was never supposed to cut his hair. That was the vow, along with a few other things. But I think that's what people get confused with. They say Jesus of Nazareth. And they think he's a Nazarite. He's not a Nazarite. He's a Nazarene. So he cut his hair. So basically, Jesus didn't look like we did. And you know what? That would have been weird. 
right? For a white man to be popped up there in the middle of Israel back in the Middle East, that would have drawn some attention, right? But we know Jesus fit in with the crowd. We have a few examples. John chapter 4 and verse 9 says, Then saith the woman of Samaria, this is the woman at the well, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? The woman at the well recognized Jesus as a Jew. Now, if you read the story for yourself, you can see she, he never mentioned that he was a Jew to her. Right? That never came up in conversation up to this point. But something about either his speech or his appearance or perhaps both indicated to this woman that he was a Jew, that he was from that part of the world, that he was from Israel. She recognized that about him without him saying it, which means he looked like everybody else from that part of the world. We, we can do even better, though. John chapter 5 and verse 12, uh, Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? He's talking to somebody who Jesus just healed, and the Pharisees are trying to find him. And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So basically what that means is Jesus hid among the crowd. Right? But think about that. Jesus was able to hide among the crowd in this moment. Right? Which means he didn't stand out. Which means he looked like everybody else. But isn't that what made it so special? In that day, in that part of the world, you could have bumped into Jesus on the street. You know, you do sometimes. You actually bump into somebody you say, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. And keep going on your day. And you might have never realized you just bumped into God. That's what makes the story of Christ being man so special and amazing. But also, Jesus doesn't belong to the white people. Jesus was not a white man. It's not a white man's religion. And I saw a tape of uh, Billy Graham saying the, the very same thing many, many years ago. It's not a white man's religion. It's a world religion. He's for everybody. It's about the whole world. Whether you're black or whether you're white, whether you're Asian, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're Native American or any other part of the world, he's for everybody. But he looked like an ordinary man of his day. So Christ was fully man. This is important. This is incredibly significant for many reasons because if Jesus Christ was not fully man, he could not and was not qualified to represent all of mankind upon the cross. Right? If he was not fully man, he could not bridge the gap between us and God. He had to be fully man or he could not represent all of mankind upon the cross. Right? If he was just fully God, he could not have died for our sins. Only Christ, who was fully man, could have died for our sins. But it's not important that he was just fully man. It's also important that we understand that he was fully God as well. And this is another matter of great debate because you have, uh, for example, the Muslims who teach that Jesus was a prophet and he was a wonderful prophet and they uh, enjoy their version of history, but that he wasn't God. He was just a prophet. 
and they've rewritten his uh, his time on Earth to be the version they like, right? But it's important for us to know that he's fully God, not just because our preacher told us so, but because we know it, we've proven it, and also so that we can defend it when we need to. We believe Jesus is fully God, and then we're going to talk about why we believe that. Because, first of all, the authority of Scripture confesses that Jesus was God. John 3.16. We all know what John 3.16 says, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave, what? His only begotten Son. So Scripture confesses that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, the authority of the Heavenly Father confesses that Jesus Christ is God. Mark chapter 9. Let's go and take a look at real quick. The Heavenly Father confesses that Jesus Christ was God. In the book of Mark chapter 9. We're going to start reading in verse 2. It says, And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, uh, so as no fuller on earth can white them. There's no amount of bleach in the world that could make Jesus' raiment any whiter, any glowing and radiant than it was in this moment. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, clearly making a mistake here. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And here it is, there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. Now, who can you imagine that is? Exactly, have planes back then. It wasn't like somebody was flying a plane over a cloud and was like, Hey, that's Jesus. You need to pay attention. No, this can only be one. This is the Heavenly Father. A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. So the Heavenly Father confessing that Jesus is God. Also at his baptism. We remember that story. Jesus uh, in the river and he gets baptized, which by the way, that kind of puts to bed the Church of Christ right there, doesn't it? Because if, you, if baptism is for the sole purpose of salvation, Jesus didn't need to get baptized, did he? Right? And he said, I have need to be baptized of thee. John said, but Jesus said, Suffer it to be so now, for it becometh us to fulfill all godliness. Right? In other words, Jesus saying to him there, This doesn't save you. Right? This is the result of what saves you. But, but he does, and two amazing things happen. The Holy Spirit uh, comes lighting upon him in the form of a dove. That's important to remember because it wasn't a dove that landed on his shoulder. People say that, and I cringe, and I know it's a detail, but it's an important detail. It, the difference between an animal and God, you know, feels like a big detail. 
And uh, it was the Holy Spirit that lighted on him as a dove, the Bible says. And then beyond that, the Heavenly Father booms down from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So twice in Scripture, the Heavenly Father has confirmed Jesus to be God. Uh, we also see uh, the authority of nature confessing his godhood. Uh, Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. Verse... Uh, Uh, let's start in verse 18. It says, Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. Talking about Jesus. Jesus got hungry as he came into the city. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And said unto it, Let no fruit grow, grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig withered away. Jesus told it not to grow fruit. And it so obeyed Jesus that it just killed itself. It just withered away and ceased to exist out of obedience to Jesus. That's power. Let's take a look at Mark 4. I had an old Bible college teacher that used to do this, Brother Stewart. He would go from one passage of scripture to the other all class long and uh, some of the classmates who knew him a little better from church they would, after a while of doing that they would look up at him and be like <sighs> I had a, a friend who was like, his name was Marcus and he would tell me he said brother Stuart when you reach a hundred verses that's your cap that's, that's your quota for the day we're back in Mark Mark 4 uh, start reading in verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over on the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, uh, they took him even as he, was in the uh, as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship. Not on the ship, in the ship. The waves were splashing in the boat. Uh, so that it was now full. The, the ship was full of water and was beginning to sink. Uh, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, uh, which if the boat was full in the front, it was probably sinking in the front first. right? And he was in the hinder part of the ship. And it says that he was asleep on a pillow. You know, Peter goes back there and says something to him. My first question would have been like, Jesus, where'd you get the pillow? <laughs> Right? That looks comfy. Did you just make a pillow manifest? Did you do that? Because that's, that's a pretty cool power. Power over the universe, power over creation, but power over pillows? That sounds pretty nice. He was asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose... And rebuked the wind and, uh, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, 
and there was a great calm. You guys, I have a hard time getting pets to obey me, right? I have a hard time getting my own children to listen to me at times. Jesus got the ocean to do what he said. Now, there have been famous poems written about the ocean and how untamable it is. Uh, untamed, a woman untamed like the sea, they say sometimes, don't they? You know, the ocean is famously wild and, and untamed and, and ferocious and deadly. And yet it instantly obeyed Jesus. The ocean itself. The winds, boy, being here in Texas, in the plains of Texas, we know how crazy that wind can be. They pull up entire, like, trampolines flying across the, the neighborhood. We have to put cinder blocks on ours when it gets real windy. He made the wind obey. The wind was kicking up the, the sea, and one was getting the other rowdy. You know, that happens sometimes, especially with kids, sometimes with adults, too. You get that one person in, and it gets the other person all riled up, and they both get a little rowdy and rambunctious. But uh, that's what the wind was doing to the sea. Wind came in, got the sea all rowdy and everything. Jesus stood up to the front of the boat. He said, stop. Be still. Most of the wind told the wind to be still. And the wind obeyed. Ladies, how would you like when you go outside and the wind is blowing your hair all around? You could look at the wind and say, stop. And it would do it. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? When it's outside and it's raining and there's a flood in your yard, and you can look at the rain and you can say, stop. And the rain would stop. Part the puddle so you can walk to the car and dry shod. But notice what the men say after he does all of this. Verse 40, he, sa uh, he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's the question, isn't it? What kind of man? In this moment, what he was displaying was not his manhood. In this moment, what he was displaying was his godhood. And even nature itself speaks of Jesus being God because I don't care how good a prophet you are, you are not going to get the sea to do what you tell it to. The only person who can get the sea to do what he tells it to is the dad of the sea. The sea's dad. And that's God. Like a dad, he says, I brought you into this world, I can take you out, boy. Probably heard your dad say that a time or two before. Maybe mom. You know, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. Hopefully joking. But you know, only a parentage could do that. And Jesus Christ, make no mistake, was there during creation. Notice there in Genesis 1, as uh, they're, they're creating and they begin to create man. And even in Genesis 2, and you can go through there and watch the, the detail. But as he begins to decide to make the first human being, Adam, he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Plural. 
there. As though God the Father is talking to somebody else there. There are no angels. Creation is still taking place. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the other two of the three parts of the Holy Triunity. Right? So Jesus Christ was there during creation. That's why when the Pharisees confront him and he says, Do you know better than our father Moses? And he says, Before Moses was, I am. Referencing the great I am. When Moses says, Who shall I say sent me? And God says, Tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. And that's what Jesus is referencing there. They say, are you greater than Moses, our father? And Jesus says, before Moses was, I am. He's telling them, I'm the great I am God of the book of Exodus. And they tried to stone him for it. Evidently, they didn't believe him. But Jesus here claiming for himself, I am God. We've seen the Bible record that he is God. We've seen the heavenly father confess that he is God. We've seen nature itself confess that Jesus Christ is God, and that is why he was capable of taking our sins, and not just taking our sins, but he was capable of taking all the punishment for our sins, fully and wholly and completely on the cross. That is why that terrible place of hell is eternal, because no human being is capable of taking all of God's wrath towards sin, even just their own. But Jesus Christ, being fully God and fully man, his Godhood was capable of taking all the wrath of sin while also being a representative of mankind. He's uniquely placed to be the only being ever in existence to fully take God's wrath towards sin. Because he did that, because he was capable of doing that, God's wrath has been appeased. Right? Represented by the floodwaters early in the book of Genesis. And you notice that they, they come and they're ferocious and the Bible says that they assuage and they're destroying everything and the whole world is full of tsunamis, right? The mountains are covered to the very tops with water, right? It represents God's wrath towards sin. The earth cannot bear it. It's completely consumed the entire planet, God's wrath has. But then something begins to happen. That ark is resting in the waters. It survived this catastrophe, and it begins to abate, which means the waters begin to remove off the earth, and God's wrath has been appeased. And it means that God's wrath has been taken fully and completely by our ark of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, and only capable because, he was fully God and fully man. And we've seen Scripture confirm that. It's said of Jesus... As we said before, I got ahead of myself a little bit, that he was so much man that he might have never been considered to be God, but also that he was so much God that he might never be considered to be man. And it was only this perfect bridge between God and man that could form the spiritual Jacob's ladder, uh, spanning the gap from the earth all the way to heaven. So think about this. Any hope or peace or joy, or any other fruit of the Spirit that we enjoy to this day is all because of Jesus' willingness to be fully man, to be made a little lower than the angels in order to form the perfect bridge between us and God. And we have within our very being, 
because of Jesus, the opportunity to restore to the same kind of fellowship that Adam enjoyed in Genesis 2. We can fellowship with God with closeness and friendship like in the beginning. All because of our spiritual bridge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our lesson for this morning. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Thank everybody for being here this morning. And we'll be back at 11 o'clock for our Sunday morning service.